The following is part of the teaching ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel in Barrie, Ontario. We believe firmly in proclaiming the Word of God without apology. For more information about our church, visit our website at harvestberry.ca or email us at info at harvestberry.ca. We trust that this message will challenge and transform you. You ready for God's Word? All right. Let's, um, let's turn to the book of Daniel, and we're in this series uh, called Make Ready, and I'm going to start out super, super dry here today. You're supposed to start out with something kind of, you know, catchy that gets people's attention. I'm going to start out with a definition of a word. <laughs> boring. Hashtag boring. Right? Well, the word is integrity, and it's the kind of word that you don't use casually. It's a reserve for those times when you need a high-impact word, the right word, a, a strong word. The English word integrity actually comes from the French and Latin to mean intact or whole. To have integrity means to be whole or to be complete or consistent. And so a building structure with integrity is, is said to have a internal consistency, when we would describe a person, it's most often associated with uh, honesty, impeccable character, and the highest of moral principles. And when you think about the word of God and a person who would kind of exemplify integrity, let's set, let's set Jesus aside for a second because we could all agree that he's the highest and best example of every character quality possible. Agreed? Okay, so we set Jesus aside for a second, and when you start to think who is the person of highest integrity in the scriptures, I think we all would come to the same conclusion that it would be Daniel. And in the most well-known episode of his life, he was sentenced to, um, to death by lions, that's uh, not very common today, a death by lions, because he would not compromise on his convictions, his integrity would not allow him, and God blessed him as a result it shouldn't be hard at all for us to see how that applies so readily to us as the followers of Jesus Christ, those of you who are Christ followers. Integrity is an indispensable quality that you must have if you are to make ready, that's the title of our series, if you are to make ready for the big move of God that he may want to do in you or through you in the coming year. Because God uses men and women of integrity to do great things for him. And I hope it's on your heart to do a great thing for the Lord. And finding out what that looks like is our task in Daniel 6 today. And so let's, um, let's pray together. And, um, and then we'll start working through this great chapter. Uh, Father, um, thank you again for the... Uh, the blessing it is to be together, to be the church. We thank you for guests who are here today and pray that they would be uh, overwhelmed by your goodness and by uh, the blessing of just being with God's people. And Father, we pray that you would be with us now in our time in your word. Uh, Father, we know your word says about itself that it always accomplishes uh, the reason for which you sent it. It always accomplishes your purposes and your will when it is read and proclaimed and studied. And so, Father, I pray that we would be so quick to hear what it says, to believe it, and to conform our lives uh, to what we've learned here today. Father, these things we pray in Christ's name. Amen. 
All right, when you're a believer of the highest integrity, uh, let's start with this, you stand out, you stand out in the crowd. Let's read the first few verses here of this familiar chapter, uh, Daniel 6. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps, those are like governors, uh, to be throughout the whole kingdom and over them three presidents of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all uh, the other presidents and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the entire a kingdom. Now, let me, um, let me qualify the statement first. You stand out in the crowd. Obviously, Daniel is standing out in the crowd uh, so much so that the king himself is noticing the kind of person that Daniel really is. And he's standing out in a crowd. But but to say that you have integrity and you're standing out in the crowd, the, the, the qualification on this is that you're not trying to stand out in the crowd. When, when you're a person of integrity, that's not actually your goal and aim. It's just that when you're a person of integrity, in light of all the other people who lack integrity, you kind of stand out in the crowd. There are so, I guess I would just say it this way, there are so few people who have this kind of integrity, that when someone who does have this kind of integrity is there, they just stand out. They rise, they rise to the top. And you notice them. It's interesting, I was reading a study uh, this week about a workplace, um, the lack of integrity in the workplace. And uh, this was particularly in the area of retail, about the two major problems that are happening in the, in the workplace that show a lack of integrity are the increasing number of employees who just flat out lie about the hours they work, about where they are, where they're supposed to be, what they're supposed to be doing, what a, what a product does or doesn't do, just the flat out amount of lying that's going on in the workplace. And then the number one problem actually is what? Workplace theft, workplace theft, particularly in retail. But in, but in a lot of other areas as well. People are just helping themselves to stuff. And in some cases, creating whole black markets of things that they're taking from their workplace and reselling for themselves. Or, or, or just defrauding the company. And um, increasing at a rate, in the study I read, increasing at a rate of 5 to 7% per year, the increasing amount of theft in the workplace. And, and um, listen, when you're a person of integrity in the workplace increasingly you're going to stand out in the crowd. Not because, not because you're trying to. Just because that by, vir by, by virtue of your integrity, you are. In, in fact, I would just say this way. If you're trying to stand out in the crowd, if you're trying that, if that's actually your goal, then you actually lose all of your integrity because you've sinned the sin of pride. You don't have any integrity left. So the description of Daniel here, notice in verse 3, you might get this underlined, that an excellent spirit was in him. The New American Standard says an extraordinary spirit. The NIV says an exceptional spirit. Whatever word you want to use, excellent, extraordinary, exceptional. Uh, Daniel was standing out in the crowd because he was a man of integrity. And even the king noticed. In last week's message, I, I talked about one of the qualifications that we look for in a leadership candidate in our church, for someone for staff or one of our elders. And 
and I talked about walking with a limp. We were looking at the Jacob story and how important it is for a person to have kind of wrestled something very intense down with God. Well, I want to add to that and tell you about kind of a little bit more, kind of flesh out a little bit more, what we look for in someone to be a leader in our church. And you're going to see how if a person has all five of these things, that they're going to stand out in the crowd. So I'm going to give these to you, the five necessities of a harvest leader. First of all, this character, of course. Uh, they demonstrate measurable and noticeable progress in Christ-likeness. And they're going to stand out in this. That they're really and truly becoming like Jesus. And the second is competency. That to be a leader here, uh, one of the necessities is that you actually have... Um, you actually have uh, the gift to be a leader, that there's a provenness over time, and, and people can see leadership in you. Character, competency, and then uh, this third one, chemistry. Uh, you work well with others. You're a team player. You know you're part of the body of Christ, and you're fitting into your part in that. You're about unity and oneness and working together and not division, not about yourself. Character, competency, chemistry. Number four is capacity, that you have the time and the availability to lead, that you're a good manager of your time. You're just able to do it. You're able to put it into all the other things that you do. And then fifth, I would say this conviction, a strong doctrinal and philosophical agreement with the church. You match the DNA of who we are, that there is a strong alignment with the vision and values of, of what we're all about. Now, when, you, when you're proven in all five of these things, when you have the character and the competency, competency and the chemistry and the capacity and the conviction, when you have all of that, when a, when a man or a woman has these things, listen, they're going to rise to the top. They're going to stand out in the crowd. And that's what we see in Daniel. He stands out in the crowd in a good way and opportunities came his way. And the king's intention here in verse 3, the latter part, was to set him over the entire kingdom, to make him number two under the king. It would be the king, and then Daniel, and then the three presidents, and then the 120 satraps, and then all of the other bureaucrats and leaders under them. Daniel would be next to the king, simply because the king noticed the kind of man that he was. But then notice this next, it created a problem for Daniel. His fellow satraps and presidents weren't all that pleased with the king's intention. You have to understand that when people come after you, like these guys were about to do with Daniel, if people are going to come after you, you better make sure that your conscience is clear. When you're a believer of the highest integrity, you have a clear conscience. Look at verse 4. Then the presidents and satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. I find the repetition there to be kind of, kind of humorous. It's, it's as if saying it once wasn't enough for us to get, but they keep stacking up no fault, no error, no blame. We couldn't find anything. There's nothing in his life. He's 
pristine and perfect in every way in all of his dealings, highly respected. You start to stack it off and you get the sense that the reason why he's doing it is because he doesn't want us to misunderstand in any way. This isn't just someone's opinion. Everybody agrees there's no ground, no error found in him, no ground for complaint. This is why I don't like, it's passages like this why I don't like being a preacher. Okay, like if I was going to bag this whole thing and, and start doing something else, it would be because of passages like this because you're all hearing it for the first time right now, but understand, I've been living in this text for a week. And I get a little concerned at a time like this because I, I want to be like Jesus and I want to have the word of God embodied in my own life and I read something like this and I see what they're saying about Daniel and I wonder if people say it about me. I mean, do you wonder if people say it about you? I mean, could, this, could this be a description of you? You, you know how this plays out, by the way, in the, in the public forum, because that's what this is. It's, it's a, a description of Daniel rising to a political place. But you know how this plays out in a government forum, that if someone gets nominated by the prime minister in the U.S. by the president to a certain government post, they have to go through this this vetting process. They sit before committees and people question them. And, and worst of all, the press, of course, uh, digs up stuff and, and, and brings it out. And, and I wonder if you were nominated to some government post, how the vetting process would go for you. I, wondered if you would, I wonder if you would survive it. Could they dig up dirt on you? I mean, the... the, the the challenge here is that they tried with Daniel and there was nothing, no dirt, no skeletons in his closet, no secret bank accounts, no private email servers. They had nothing. Imagine living your life so you never have to look over your shoulder, you're never worried about covering your tracks. Now, it's so important for us to hear this. I'm not saying at all that Daniel was perfect because he wasn't. The, the interesting thing about Daniel as I think about it and all the characters that we read about in the Bible that, that Daniel's the one who God chose in his word never to show us any of his weaknesses. I mean, I can think of every other Bible character we would study and, and we're, we always see something. There's always some weakness, some failing of faith, some something. Some struggle they had, some sin that they committed, but we've got nothing on Daniel, and I don't know why the Lord didn't give us anything, but I do know this for sure. Daniel was a sinner in need of forgiveness. I know that for sure because we're all sinners, correct? How many sinners here this morning? Just raise your hand if you're a sinner. Okay, those of you who did not raise your hand, just in the sin of not raising your hand. <laughs> a, because the pastor told you to, and, 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 and B, because you are a sinner. The Bible tells you so. And... Um, Daniel, we don't have that, but we know that he is a sinner, that he no less was in need of salvation, that he no less needed the forgiveness of his heavenly father. And this is so important. Daniel's conscience, because that's what we're talking about here, Daniel's conscience was clear, not because he was a man of integrity. Please understand that. Daniel's conscience was not clear because he was a man of integrity. Daniel's conscience was clear because God forgave his sin. Because he had faith in his God. His conscience was clear because he believed in the promise of one who would come who would restore all things. He knew it only as a hope 
of a Messiah, of a Savior who would come. And we know that Savior is Jesus Christ. But Daniel's no less saved in the same way that we're saved, by faith in the promise. No matter what you've done, because maybe you're sitting here saying, I'm just not sure I can get to the place of a clear conscience. And I'm telling you, you can. Because there's lots of people in this room who have found that. Because no matter what you've done, you can clear your conscience by confession and repentance. By admitting your sin, agreeing with God about it, and then making a 180 degree turn in the other direction and saying, I'm not going to live my life the way that I've been living it. I'm going to live now for Christ. I'm going to live according to his word and his ways. I'm going to turn from my way of doing things to his. And that's the thing that makes you whole. It's, it's, it's Christ's integrity put onto you. It's Christ's holiness put into you. It's Christ's righteousness put into you. And that becomes the standard for your life. You can have a clear conscience, listen, by the blood of Jesus Christ applied to your life. Well, you see, this whole thing, the fact that Daniel was so blameless This provided his enemies with their new tactic to undermine him not on the basis of his actions or his his manner of working, his integrity. All of this was impeccable. But to undermine him on the basis of his faith. That's what we see in verse five. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel. Notice, unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. And you could just note this, that if you have it in your heart to become the person of highest integrity, that some people will actually hate you because of that. So don't be surprised by that. But this is where your integrity then begins to serve you well. Daniel's convictions and beliefs were so tightly held by him that he was actually willing to suffer any loss up to and including his life to hold his convictions firm. Daniel decided he would be consistent no matter what. And when you're a believer of the highest integrity, you are consistent in every way. Let me read uh, verses six through nine. We're gonna see how this begins to play out. Then these presidents and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the presidents of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed. So they went around. This is typical government lobbying. We're going to get everybody on our side. Everybody's going to sign this. Everybody's going to be all together and one voice. This is what we're going to do. We're all agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes a petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and the injunction unwisely. He had elevated in his own mind, was just getting ready to make Daniel number two in the kingdom, but quite obviously, who did he not consult? He didn't ask Daniel about this. 
Everyone else is coming to him, and I don't know if it was just the hubris of, of a king, his own arrogance that, that went, oh, wow, they, they want to honor me in this way. 30 days, everybody's going to be kind of praying to their God through me. I'm going to be the mediator. I'm going to be like, I'm going to get all this attention, and people are going to revere me. I don't know what's going on in Darius's heart. We're not really given a, a glimpse into it, but we can make some guesses and just see what else would cause him to sign this document without consulting his number one counselor? For whatever reason, he signs it. And the heat's about to go up for Daniel, and the true test of belief comes when suffering and sacrifice are required of you. The true test of what you believe comes when suffering and sacrifice are required of you. The authentication of deeply held beliefs will always come through fire, not through ease. And in the face of the conspiracy to discredit him and eliminate him, Daniel showed faith and great courage. He was consistent in every way in his life. And it's curious that when you look at verse 10 here, that there's every indication that Daniel knew exactly what was going on every step of the way. Look what it says, verse 10. When Daniel knew the document had been signed. There's just an assumption there. He knew about the document. He knew about the lobbying. He knew about, I mean, you could hardly believe that he wouldn't know about it if there's three presidents and 120 governors and all the other bureaucrats that they've talked about here. That number of people, hundreds if not thousands of people knew about it. There's no way Daniel didn't know about it. And yet, for some inexplicable reason, he chooses not to intervene. He doesn't go to the king. He knew all about it and he went ahead and notice this, he did what he had always done. Let's keep reading in verse 10 there. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, don't miss this part, as he had done previously. He's not, but by going and opening up his windows and praying towards Jerusalem, it's not like he's saying, hey, that law's in place and now I'm gonna really provoke the issue. I really wanna make a deal of this and so I'm gonna make a big splashy appearance and, and, and let everybody know that I'm praying now just to challenge all. He's not doing that. This is exactly what he had done, always. This was the pattern of his life. Did what he had always done He doesn't, doesn't go to the king. He doesn't argue his point. He doesn't challenge his enemies. He just remains silent about the whole thing. And I'm, I'm, I'm puzzled by that. John Milton said this, the English author, I will not deny but that the best apology against false accusers is silence and sufferance and honest deeds set against dishonest words. When people come after you, Milton is saying, just zip it. Don't respond. I hate this advice. 
you can imagine as a pastor once or twice in, in the time that I've been a pastor, people have said not so nice things about me. You can imagine that, right? I have no trouble imagining it, just in case you're having trouble. And what Milton is saying and what Daniel is modeling is that when, when people come at you like that, you just shouldn't say anything. Just don't, don't offend yourself. Don't, no rebuttals. How many people like me would find this very difficult if somebody, just, just confess, please, stand with me. Thank you. And yet, and yet here it is. This, this is the best tactic that Daniel can come up with that Milton would suggest to us. Then I, um, then I remember Jesus, right? Matthew 27, 4. Jesus gave Pilate, the governor, the Roman governor, no answer, not even to a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. Oh, was Jesus guilty or was he innocent? Innocent. Were all the charges false? All of them. He didn't answer to any of it. Jesus, of course, was fulfilling what Isaiah 53 said about him. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and a sheep before her shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Daniel did what he'd always done. He didn't compromise under the pressure. He didn't answer back. He didn't cave in. He didn't say, I'm just going to pray in private. I'll keep my drapes closed. I'm going to go pray over beside my bed so no one sees it. I'll, I'll just kind of ease back just 30 days. And then I'll be back, Lord, doing it publicly like I always have been. He did what he'd always done. He maintained his very public faith knowing it would cause him harm. In his mind, he had to do what he'd always done. Anything else diminished his integrity. And I find it interesting that, and this, there's a lesson right here, but I find it interesting that instead of going to Darius, instead of going to the king and appealing what does he do? He, he, go, he doesn't go to the king. He goes to, he goes to the king of kings. He, he goes to God. Look at verse, verse 11. These men came by agreement. They found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Now the Bible doesn't say what he's praying. But I imagine it's something like this. Lord, I know that you know that I'm in a bit of a spot here. And this could go one of two ways, Lord. And the prayer then goes off into option one, option two. Lord, you can deliver me. I know you're powerful enough to do that. I've seen you do some awesome things. You could deliver me. You can override the law of the Medes and Persians, no problem. Even though it's irrevocable, it's not irrevocable to you, Lord. That's his prayer. That's prayer A. The other side of that is, but if not, Lord, and if I'm to die in the lion's den, let me die with courage. Let me die with my faith and my integrity intact. Now, I'm just telling you, that's a great prayer no matter what you're going through. God, this is what I'm asking for, but if not, give me the courage to be faithful to you in the face of whatever comes my way. It's a great prayer. He was asking for help, no doubt, but he's entirely submissive to God's will. And that really, the whole thing helps us play this out kind of in two ways. And I want you to write this down about being consistent. Because this is what I see in Daniel. I'm consistent, first of all, in my conviction and conduct. 
Are you consistent in your, in your convictions and your conduct? In other words, what I believe, what I say I believe, and what I believe that I believe in my heart, I actually act on. What I embrace, I actually live out. My, my words and my deeds match up. Or to use the language of uh, James in James 1.22, I'm not only a hearer of the word, but a, but a doer of the word. Conviction and conduct, those two things need to be the same. They need to be consistent in my life. And then, and then this, uh, privately and publicly, I'm the same person at home at work, at church, in my neighborhood, I'm the same person. I don't have two personalities. I'm not a one way in one place and a different person in the other place. I'm, it doesn't matter where I am. And, I, and also, listen, I'm the same person in public with people as I am when I'm alone. I'm the same person. My convictions are still true of me, whether I'm alone or with other people. I read a book quite a number of years ago, maybe more than 20 years ago, by Bill Hybels. His book on integrity is, uh, is titled, and this just hits the mark, um, uh, Who You Are When No One's Looking. Who You Are When No One's Looking. Now, I want to I illustrate this, because I want you to get this, and uh, Valentine's Day is coming up, so I thought this would be helpful. All right, so there's two kinds of chocolate hearts that you can buy. There's one chocolate heart that has no integrity. And there's a, another, and you don't want to give your love a chocolate heart with no integrity. Agreed? Agreed. So, so and there's a kind of chocolate heart with integrity. And so this, this chocolate heart, okay, again, we've talked about integrity in terms of wholeness, consistency throughout, internal consistency. And this chocolate heart is... It's, it's what inside? It's, it's, it's not the same. There's no consent. What a waste. <laughs> it's so fun having Blair May up close to the front here. here that's all I have left. Sorry. Happy Valentine's Day. <laughs> but you see, now this chocolate heart, this chocolate heart, look at this. When I break that one, look, it's all the way through. See, this chocolate, give your love chocolate with integrity this Valentine's Day. There you go. I wash my hands before I preach. It's all good. <laughs> Get it? The same. The same. Inside and outside. In public, in private. Well, the whole thing goes down now. Look, at, look back at the text, verse 12. The whole thing goes down. They came near and they said before the king... Concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast in the den of lions? They're pretty much treating the king like an idiot right now. The king answered and said, the, the things, because this was like yesterday. This was the day before that he signed this, right? The king answered and said, the thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel who's one of the exiles from Judah, he, he's a Jew, he's a Jew. Just write in your Bible, anti-Semitism, religious persecution, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these things, was much distressed. Why? Because he knows Daniel. 
He knows he's a man of integrity. He, he knows who he is. And he realizes in this moment that he's been duped by all of these other leaders. He set his mind to deliver Daniel. I got to find a way to rescue him. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. And these men came by agreement to the king and they said to the king, No, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians and that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. And the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually deliver you. And I don't know if this is the moment God is sovereign over all things and it's all decided and he's, he's ordaining all of this. But it seems to me that this is a turning point where a pagan king who does not honor Yahweh is actually praying to him, asking him to do something awesome. And this could be the moment the turning point where a big move of God is going to happen because God wants to display his glory in the midst of this kingdom. And a stone was brought, verse 17, and laid on the mouth of the den and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of the Lord's that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and he spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, no Netflix that night. And sleep fled from him. Then at break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. And as he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, Oh, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? The reason why the king is doing this is because the, the Medes and the Persians had this crazy law that if you survived torture till the next day, you would be released. And so he knew that if he could get there and Daniel was still alive, that he would be a free man and that he would no longer be under the crazy conviction of death. He knew Daniel was a man of integrity. Do you know that being a person of integrity, of highest integrity, doesn't guarantee, not only will people not like you, we said that already, but it doesn't guarantee that you're going to be treated justly. The king sees this for what it what it was, false accusation, conspiracy. And, and again, to me, I'm thinking of the gospels and I'm thinking of a another account that we read in the scriptures where religious leaders put pressure on political leaders. on the governor of Judea led to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. It was Pontius Pilate who said of Jesus, I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him. Neither did Herod, this is what Pilate's saying, neither did Herod, and we all know Herod was a loser. Herod's the guy who executed John the Baptist. Herod didn't need a reason to kill somebody, and yet even Herod was saying, I don't think that Jesus is guilty of anything. Pilate continues, look, nothing deserving death has been done by him. And just like Darius before him, John 19, 12 tells us that Pilate sought to release him. How can I release Jesus? How can I let this innocent man go? 
Even Pilate's wife, Matthew 27, 19, have nothing, this is what Pilate's wife said to him, have nothing to do with this righteous man. That's what she said. This righteous man. For I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. When convictions and beliefs are so tightly held, the person of highest integrity is willing to suffer any loss up to and including the sacrifice of his earthly life to remain true and, this is the point we've been making, consistent in every way. Is that you? It's not likely that so many of us are going to be asked to give our lives in the way that Daniel was asked to. But nevertheless, we might be asked to sacrifice some things in order to maintain our integrity. Maybe a job, maybe a friendship, a relationship of some kind. Maybe even our family won't be so happy with us. Maybe it'll mean the loss of some financial gain in our lives. Would we be willing to sacrifice these things in order to be consistent in every way? and maintain our integrity. Well, if it is you, it just follows then that you would trust God for your vindication because it's all you have. God's gonna work this out and I'm gonna trust him in every way. And the climax of the account is that moment where Daniel says, look at verse 21 then, the king has cried out to him, are, are you there, Daniel? And Daniel said to him, verse 21, O king, live forever. If this was said in England, it would be, God save the king. He was still honoring the king because he knew it wasn't his fault. Daniel states the reason for his miraculous deliverance. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths. They have not harmed me because I was found blameless. Notice, I was a man of integrity. Before him and also before you, O king, I've done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. You can see the vindication coming immediately. He's released from the lion's den. The, the king is affirming him. Then there's some more vindication that comes. This is a little difficult, but... The king commanded that those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought up and cast into the den of lions. They, this is uncomfortable, their children and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Some people say that uh, this story is real insofar as Daniel was put in the den, but the reason why the lions didn't eat him was because they were uh, old, uh, fat, and not hungry. And I think verse 24 proves that that was not true. That it was not true. And then Darius goes on, verse 25. King Darius wrote to all the people, nations, and languages. This is remarkable, that dwell in all the earth. Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble in fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. There's not a person in the room that could imagine any of our government leaders ever saying anything like this. His kingdom shall never be destroyed. His dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel, notice the vindication personally now. This Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius. 
and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Vindication, one thing after another to prove. Now, we, we might make the mistake and believe that this is about Daniel, that somehow, again, this is a lesson about how awesome Daniel is, and he's a man of integrity, and we should just model our lives after him, and it's, it's far from that, and Daniel wouldn't have us look at it that way. This is about God and what he did. Daniel's faith is in the Lord, and the deliverance happens because of him. His will is being worked out, and I, and I just wrote down some notable things about the God of Daniel, about our God that we see in this. You might jot these down. First of all, God is active in the lives of his people. He's active in your life. Whatever you've brought in here today, whatever burden you're carrying, whatever you're thinking about, whatever direction you need, I just want you to know that God's very active in this world and he's very active in your life if you'll invite him to be. If you'll talk to him about it, seek his will and his way, he wants to be active in your life. And then, and then secondly, this, that's kind of at a really personal level. Then secondly, he removes kings and sets up kings. Just jot down the reference, Daniel 2.21, just a little earlier in the book. He removes kings and sets up kings. God's in charge of all of it. Last federal election here in Canada, we, we, I think we were all a little surprised at who got elected, but God wasn't. The Americans are going through this whole hoopla. It's, it's like, how many people are tired of the U.S. election already and it hasn't even happened? We got months to go, people. Hang in there, right? Hang in there. Um, but, but, you know, all of this Democrats and Republicans and doing all the things that they do with all the primaries and we've got to get through all of that and then the election cycle actually comes and, 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 and so they, they don't know. The Americans don't know who's going to be elected, but, but God knows. He already knows. He's already ordained it. God sets up kings and, and removes them. He's in charge of it all. He's sovereign. And then third, he has the power to deliver a miracle should it be his will. And I hope you believe that for yourself personally, that if, if it's God's will, he could deliver you. That he does want to work in your life in that way. And when you believe in such a God, if you believe in a, in a God like this, a God who is active in your life and in the world, a God who's sovereign over the kings and kingdoms, a God who can work a miracle and is powerful to do it, when you believe in that God, knowing he loves you, knowing that he has your best interest at heart, knowing that he wants to do a big thing in your life and through your life, then trusting him ought to be easy. We can recognize that the big moves of God are always at his discretion to fulfill his purposes. Daniel, Daniel wasn't delivered for Daniel's sake. Daniel wasn't even delivered for the sake of Darius and, and the kingdom of the Medes and Persians. Daniel was delivered for the glory of God. Daniel was delivered for the advancement of the will of God in this world. Daniel was delivered so that an earthly king would be reminded that the people of that kingdom and empire would be reminded. They had just taken over the Babylonians. They were feeling pretty good about themselves. And God reminded them of why they were there, why they had what they had, that he's sovereign over all things. And whatever, God, whatever way God chooses to work, whatever he's trying to do in this world, I need to be okay with that. You need to be okay with that. And when I tuck in under that, it doesn't matter. Listen, it doesn't matter if I live or die. It matters that I trust him to vindicate me where and when he chooses. 
How many people here, um, and I wanna, I wanna play this story out a little differently here in a second, but how many people remember, you've been in church long enough that you remember flannel graph from, from Sunday school? Just raise your hand if you remember that. How many people, just raise your hand, you have no idea what I'm talking about when I say flannel graph. That is shocking to me. Okay, so brief description. So this is like a flannel board, and literally it's a board that would be on easel, and there would just be flannel on it, like flannel, like pajama plant, pants flannel, okay? And then you would have these little images that would be like paper or cardboard, and on the back, it would have, I don't know, flannel or something else that would stick to flannel, okay? And so you would tell the story, and you'd have little, little Hillary and little Kelly would be there and the teacher would be telling the story and the teacher would say, hey, little Hillary, why don't you put the picture of Daniel praying in the lion's den up on the flannel graph? There we go. Look at that. And Hillary would go up there, little, little Hillary would go up there and she'd put it up on the flannel graph. And then, of course, he was in the lion's den and so there was a, there was a nice lion there. We got little, little Kelly put that up there. And, and so... So right now, the story's awesome. It's the way that we're seeing it. And notice that the lion's mouth is, because that's what the Bible tells us, that the angel came and, and shut the mouth of the lion. And so up until this point, this is why this makes such a great flannel graph story for those little seven and eight-year-olds, is because it's such a great story because the lions, they don't eat Daniel. Okay, but what, what happens if, now watch the flannel graph, what happens? Okay, you people know me too well. So, we're about to go PG-13. So what happens? No, go back, go back to the other one. Go back to the other one. Right. So what happens if, if it's like this instead? Dramatic moment. Now the lion's mouth is open. And now this, now this story is a little bit different, right? Now the story is a little bit different. And, and um, we get little Andrew to go up there and, hey, little Andrew, could you... Could you put Daniel's, let's see this next one. Could, we, could you put Daniel's, could you put Daniel's severed foot beside the big lion? <laughs> A little less suitable for the kiddos. I think, we, I think we might agree, uh, but, but listen, but it shouldn't affect anything else. If that's the way that the story was told, the point is still the same. God is faithful. He's accomplishing his will and his ways in this world. And Daniel remained faithful, full of integrity, consistent in every way, trusting God to vindicate him. And God would no less indicate him, just on a different timeline. I think we need to understand that Daniel's faith and integrity were, were such that he was unwilling to compromise even if it cost him his life, if it had cost him his life. The story and the message would be the same. I like Romans 14, 8. If we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. And he's working out his will and his ways in this world. And you know, for a lot of other people, I can imagine they were thinking about Daniel when this happened to them, but there are plenty of stories in history of the followers of Jesus Christ who were sent 
into the forums, into the stadiums with wild beasts who were condemned simply because of their faith, like Daniel. I can imagine when those followers of Christ went into that lion's den, that they must have been praying, thinking about Daniel, God, you stopped the mouths of the lions. Would you stop the mouths of the lions now? And he didn't. There were hundreds, if not thousands, of Christ followers who were killed, martyred in this way. God never once stopping the mouth, mouths of the lions. In Fox's Book of Martyrs, we read about many of these. In AD 162, the persecution under the Emperor Marcus Aurelius. We read this, that Germanicus, a young man, a young man, but a true Christian, being delivered to the wild beasts on account of his faith, behaved with such astonishing courage that several pagans became converts to a faith which inspired such fortitude. And on that day, that was God's will. The young man was a man of integrity, maintained his faith, unwilling to compromise even if it cost him his life. And the greater will of God, the big move of God came as this young man gave his life that several pagans watching him give his life would find the gospel so attractive in him that they would embrace Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. No matter what people say about you or what it costs you, maintain your integrity and trust God to vindicate you in his time and in his way. God would use Daniel in incredible ways in the days to come, giving him visions of the future, the privilege of proclaiming the apocalypse and these visions to the world. And whatever big thing God might have for you, whatever he might be preparing for you to do this year or in the years to come, you can, make, you can make ready for that by being a person of the highest integrity. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we are again so very grateful that you would uh, meet with us like this and speak to us with such clarity in your word. And I pray, God, that each one of us would be so determined in our hearts to be prepared for whatever you want to do in our lives. God, that we would be so determined that we would have it on our hearts to be people of integrity, consistent in every way, looking to you to vindicate us, not trusting in ourselves at all, but only in you. Do the work in, in our lives that only you can do. And be glorified in us in every way. Father, these things we pray in your son's name. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. We always love hearing about the work God's doing in our listeners. If God's been doing a work in you, send us an email at info at And remember, you are loved.